ब्लड थर्स्टी वेजिटेरियन में आपके मेजबान रिचर्ड वेलगेस और जॉन टेलरे को आपका स्वागत करते हैं सुनते रहिए हम आपके लिए पेश करेंगे लोकप्रिय संचार माध्यम और संस्कृति से घिरे वार्तालाप और वाद संवाद असुविधाजनक पर विचार जागरूक करने वाले संसर्ग संचलित विचारों का विश्लेषण राजनैतिक हलचल का विवरण खान के प्रति हमारा प्यार नए पुराने संगीत सितारे तो हमारे साथ सुनते रहिए ब्लड थर्स्टी वेजिटेरियन Happy New Year. Yes, we're coming to you live from the Fairfield Glassworks and Tape Dispensary, now located in India. <laughs> It is, actually. It was a uh, nice road trip though. I mean, we we'd have been wanting to do a road trip and it was about time we did that. Yeah, the shots are a, a bit of a bear though. Like vodka? What kind of shots are you talking about? No, the shots I had to take or well, not take, but be administered. <laughs> yeah. What what shots did you need? What vaccinations did you need to go to India? Um, I needed these shots in the in the stomach, a whole series of shots in the stomach. Gigantic quarter-inch needles. Yeah. Very yeah. painful. I mean, the the needle was so long it came out of the back of my spine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd oh, like wait, to Oh wait, wait, that wasn't India. That was rabies. Oh, right. I'd like to thank my friend Raj for doing our translation, doing our Hindi translation, and uh, for supplying us for the music. So if you're going to go after anybody, go after him. That's right. It's his fault. Nothing's our fault. Yep, yep, yep. So it is the new year. It's our first show of two aught aught six. That's right. Hopefully Or, six will be better than five. I thought five was a great year. Yeah, five wasn't too bad. A lot of cool things happened in 2005. We started this podcast. Um, what else? I met an interesting woman. And what else? Um, It's all you. <laughs> it, it rained. <laughs> it snowed recently. <laughs> We've had a lot of that here in the snow belt of central New York. Yeah. I still have my uh, the passing of my favorite pet on my mind. So John's a bit down in the mouth. So yes. Don't expect him to say a lot this show. Yes. I'm drinking from a tiki head. <laughs> <laughs> We're drinking wine from a tiki, a tiki head. Speaking of the wine, John, why don't we talk about that? <laughs> This is something from, from Rich's selection. It's a... Uh, 2002 Malbec Mendoza Catena Catena I think must be the winery That's right It's um Bottega Bodega Catena Zapata Argentina It's Yeah Argentinian it's an Argentinian wine. wine and this was uh I took the advice of a magazine and bought this this was a Wine Spectator's 2005 Top 100 and my liquor store had it for an unbelievably good price Might yeah. go back and buy some more. Yeah, I mean, you can probably get a case of this stuff. It's really good. And it tastes really great drinking from tiki heads. <clears throat> and we literally are drinking yes. from tiki heads. Why don't you tell that story, John? All right. Well, first thing, I just want to remind people that I've got the, uh, the wine list up now. What we're doing is now we've got a separate wine list page on our site. So if you uh, ever want to get any more information about our wines, there's one source. Uh, but yes, when I went to Vegas, I picked up some of these ridiculous tiki head glasses, these ceramic... Um, I don't know, eight-inch-tall tiki head-looking things. <laughs> They look like the thing from Brady Bunch. Dark forest green. Yeah. Maybe I'll take a picture of them and put them on the site as well. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's like 
the Brady Bunch meets Easter Island or something. It's really strange, yep. and they're terribly gaudy, but the wine <laughs> tastes just as good coming out of these as it would out of a normal wine glass. Yeah, some people will tell you, and I'm sure some wine snobs will tell you, that you have to drink wine out of a specifically shaped glass in order to get the, the best experience, and there is something to that if you're going to be smelling the wine for half an hour, but drinking it tastes the same. And this wine is fantastic. Yep, I'm down. <laughs> I definitely would recommend this. I think this and the Sebastiani yeah. are at the tops. I thought the Behringer 2000 was exquisite also. but Yeah, they're all good stuff, all good bottles. So speaking of stuff, I got a couple of... Um, yeah, on our board, Rich has labeled this section crap. Yeah, under New Year greetings, it says crap. But I'm I'm renaming it stuff, and I have a couple, three, four quick things here. I was at a little family get-together, you know, like we do around the holidays. And Craziness. one of uh, my mother's best friends, and I don't know, this woman might actually be my godmother. I don't actually remember. But <laughs> I don't remember who my Some godparents are. Some blood of are. hers running through your veins somehow. Yeah. So she, um, she saw me eating and said, like, what did she say to me? She said, oh, you're still not on that health kick, are you? And it just it strikes me as, as being weird because people think that the way I eat or maybe even the way John eats is a fad, you know, like a, the Atkins diet. I'm doing this because I'm, I'm going to do mm-hmm. it for five months and lose my goal is to lose 40 pounds or whatever, like a typical diet would be. But this is a lifestyle. Hello? Yeah, being healthy. You, it's a, you're still not trying to be healthy, are you? I know. You know, the, my, my <laughs> counter to that was, oh, you're still on that unhealthy kick, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what does that mean? Butter uh, sandwiches wrapped in bacon. Yeah, and they are good. You can get those pretty much every day at Emerald's restaurants. <laughs> Drizzled with butter, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Bacon fat. Pork fat rules. Bam. Bam. Anyway. So, yeah, I am still on that health kick. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to be healthy. Yeah, and um, it, it shows. Do you work out? No. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I have muscles. John's bristling with muscles. Okay. If another... I didn't have muscles, I'd probably fall down and squirm on the ground. I know. Your skeleton wouldn't have nothing to <laughs> propel it. It would just be a lifeless bunch of bones. It's true. Um, What's next on your list of crap? My, on my list of crap is John Ratzenberger, our favorite actor from The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, he was also in another minor... Uh, Sitcom too, wasn't he? Called Cheers or something? Um, I think he was a mail carrier. Mm. I mean, he was a letter he de- letter deliverer. He certainly wasn't a female carrier That's because right. I only recall one episode where he have a gr- had a girlfriend and she immediately left him for the guy with the Porsche. <laughs> she worked at the Yarn Barn. I thought I that was the coolest name for a, a business. I don't remember that. What, so what's up with John Ratzenberg? He has a show on the Travel Channel called Made in America. And I did not know that. I was just flipping around the dial on one of those days when I got off the bike trainer, and I was like, that's John Ratzenberger. I I was wanting him to say, Nam. Hey, Nammy. He played Cliff Clavin. He did. And anyway, he's got this show, and I watched it, and they went to, and I don't remember the name of the manufacturer, but they went to, perhaps, certainly in the United States, maybe in the world, the only harp manufacturer. And I don't, again, I don't know if there's another harp manufacturer in the world, but I believe they're the U.S.'s only harp manufacturing company. They make about 400 harps a year. Wow. And I just thought it was really cool because it's... Those giant harps that are like seven, eight feet tall? Yeah, a, a concert harp. Wow. You know, and uh, what an interesting instrument. It's unique. You don't hear it in a lot of popular music anymore, mostly film scores and orchestra, but what a unique instrument and what an interesting thing to see them being made. Well, yeah, you could probably... Uh... People have probably used um, keyboards with digital samples to, to replace the harp because you don't want to be carrying one of those on the subway. Yeah, it's it's bulky and uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. Probably to get a harpist by the hour is probably expensive if she mm-hmm. has to bring her axe, you know. <laughs> axe? That thing's like a battle axe. <laughs> it's enormous. And they probably have wood carvers on staff there. Oh, they absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. they were hand carving the, the ornate fluting and the ornate um, decoration in the wood. Campus leaves or something like that. They also gold leaf them. I would imagine. If you want gold, the gold option, it takes a little longer, but yeah, they gold leaf the uh, the wood. It looks really cool. But anyway, and John they probably Ratzenberg. even have digital pickups on them. They may, they may have piezo pickups on them. Yeah, you know, to uh, like a lot of guitars have. Um, but anyway, John Ratzenberger, Made in America, on the Travel Channel. I have no idea what channel it is in your area or what time it's on. I just happened to catch it once, and it, it caught my eye. Yeah, good show. Okay, my other crap here is next question. The uh, the Spike TV, the channel for men, Jeez. had their 008 Days of 007 on. So I caught, uh, mostly at work, but a little bit at home, I caught bits and pieces and snippets of pretty much every Bond movie, but the last two Brosnan ones, I think. I don't know if they've gotten rights to play those yet, but basically the first 19 mm-hmm. Bond films. So I saw a lot of the Sean Connery stuff. And I, I had forgotten how good those were. So now I'm actually going to sit down and rent them and watch them all the way through one of these right. times. Because I've never seen one of the Connery films all the way through in one sitting. And, I've pretty much and seen when, all the Roger Moore ones. And when you're done with watching all those movies, your IQ will have been lowered. I don't know. I think the Connery ones are pretty good, actually. Well, they're entertaining, but... But beyond <laughs> the, the, the way the films are now, which are really just shoot 'em ups when I see the Connery, when I see things, scenes from the Connery films, I see more sparring. And by sparring, I mean just... Um, I don't know, more clever interactions between the villains, which are always outrageous and gigantic villains. And well, yeah, they can't just pull out a gun and shoot him. They have to put him to, on a table with lasers and timers and everything. Well, right. But, I mean, they do that in the new films, too. But the new mm-hmm. films rely on that only. You know, we had the charisma of Connery, you know, in those films. And he's a pretty good actor and a beautiful woman everywhere. But anyway, yeah, the, I think the Connery films are strong. But anyway, I'm, I'm watching Goldfinger, right? I expect you to die, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? <laughs> no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Yeah. And I'm watching Goldfinger, and the, the actor is Christopher Lee. He plays the villain Francisco Scaramanga. Mm-hmm. And I realize, my God, that's Count Dooku from the last two Star Wars films. That episodes was uh, two and three. Man with the Golden Gun, Scaramanga. Yeah, yeah I... I Oh, I see. yeah. Did I say Goldfinger? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is Man with the Golden Gun. That was right. one of my favorite ones because uh, uh, Hervé Villachez is in that as well. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh... <laughs> well, and, and the other thing that was cool about the earlier Bond films is that the henchmen that the villains had were cool, you know? <laughs> right. We had Odd Job That's right. in Goldfinger. Actually, in Goldfinger. Yep. I meant Man with the Golden Gun with it, but I said Gold. But yeah, and who did we have? We had uh, Jaws in two of the That's right. Two of the films. That was Roger Moore. Two of the Roger Moore films. And of course, we had. Um, the Hervé Villachez guy. I don't remember the name of his I can't character. remember his name, but it, strangely enough, he lived on an island where an airplane came by, a little seaplane came by and landed and brought guests. Yeah. On, I, I, in in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. That's where he right, lived. Yeah. And there's actually that island that they're on can be seen in one of the more recent Pierce Brosnan ones. They went to oh, that really? same location and that, that island can be seen in the background. But, I mean, yeah, they're, they're shoot-em-up films, but, you know, to have a couple of glasses of beer and sit around and just <laughs> senselessly watch something, why not watch a Bond film, right? I, mean, yeah, I guess. You could turn a drinking game into And that actor, Christopher Lee, who played Scaramanga, is really famous for being in all the Hammer films, you know, doing those horror things, yeah. Dracula and stuff, the sort That's of B right. films. So, But I was just looking at his filmography on the IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, and it's huge. This guy's got a real career. Well, just when the, you were mentioning Count Dooku, in that same year, he also played in the Lord of the Rings films. Right, right. 
So he's playing some big roles. He's out there. Yeah, the man's got a real career. So anyway, yeah, that was my my little blurb. And of course, today, since it is New Year's Day, it's one one oh six. If you were to watch the Sci Fi Channel, you'd get to see a lot of Twilight Zones, which is a series that I love. With what I think is the greatest science fiction series ever. I don't wow. know, you can debate that if you want, but you'd be wrong. I'm not going to debate anything because I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> and if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Hervé Villachase was never in the Twilight Zone. Never. Oh, you know what? I was flipping through the channels on the sci-fi, ch- or yeah, flipping through the channels, and I, I came across the sci-fi channel and saw the trailing end of one of the episodes. You can probably tell me which one this is. Jack Klugman well, played he was some in three episodes. I think he he was on some spaceship that was uh, yeah, it was Jack Klugman on a spaceship. <laughs> Imagine that. You're giving me this odd look. I don't recall Klugman ever being on a spaceship. He was in a game of pool with with Jonathan Winters. I remember that he one. He was in uh, in Praise of Pip, don't and he that was one. in um, he was in another. He was in three, and I don't remember a spaceship being involved in any of them. Well, the reason why I even stopped and watched it is because this guy. It seemed to be very similar to like the Martian Chronicles kind of thing, where these guys were supposedly spacemen on a UFO type looking spaceship. And one guy was saying that all these people that he knew that were dead were there with him. And it was the end of it. And Jack Klugman was there trying to make some or, or knock some sense into him. But, yeah, he was a spaceman wearing some, you know, cheesy uh, 50s, 60s kind of space suit. We'll have to look that up because yeah. the third one, I think, was called uh, – it was about Trumpet. Trumpet was in the title, uh, the third one that Klugman was in. And I only thought he was in three. Well, who, who was in the most, by the way? Do you know? A little Twilight Zone trivia for you. I mean, discounting Serling himself. As, the, as our humble narrator. Let me guess. It would have to be Jack Nicholson. No. <laughs> Wrong. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, who was the guy who played the Riddler? Um, Frank, Frank Gorshin. Gorshin. No, it was Burgess Meredith. Burgess, Burgess Meredith Mer- oh. was in five Twilight Zones. Wow. I know and he was including in a my favorite, which was uh, The Obsolete Man, where he was declared obsolete in this future sort of 1984-ish society by... Um, because he was a librarian and books were no longer needed. Yeah, I think you mentioned so that in our uh, top obsolete. five uh, favorite TV shows. Oh, yeah. I think I did. That's yep. a classic. But anyway, that's all the crap I have. Do you have any crap to add? I've got no crap that's worth talking about. Um, okay. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the new year next on our next show and, and all the things we didn't resolve to do for 2005, but we did anyway. And then the things we did resolve to do and didn't do, yeah. we, might, we might talk about 2006. <laughs> New Year's resolutions. They crack me up. Yeah. Anyways, here's a tune. What do we got? We got a band called Root Valdez out of uh, the great state of New York, down there in New York City. And this song is called Mind's Eye. Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like those guys. I saw those guys play when they were called QB3 a couple of years ago at a, a club opening in Utica, actually, down on um, Bank Place in uh, Genesee Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got like an acid jazz thing going on. Yeah, that's cool. That's a There's one or two tracks on the QB3 EP that I have that are like that, and this is this record is, is a little bit more like that. A lot of them are very long songs, like 13 minutes, so you know I don't know if we'll play any of those in the future, but this one uh, was strong. And, we could string uh, a couple of those together and then just not even say anything. <laughs> we can just do one <laughs> of those songs, play our theme, play that, done, out the yeah. door, see you later. Easy. So what's been in the news? What are we talking about? What's going on? A lot of stuff has happened since uh, we went off the air before the break. Like, uh, we found out that our government's been (laughs) spying on us, possibly. And this goes back to something I believe I mentioned on a previous show. I mentioned it briefly in passing and promised to get back to this topic, I think, in the future. Mm -hmm. About 10 years ago or 12 years ago or something, you and I... It was a long time ago. might have been 89-ish, 92 Mm -hmm. or something. I don't know. It was 10 to 15 years ago. Guy named Phil Zimmerman gave a talk at the Syracuse Library, and uh, John, I think, actually told me about it, and uh, I went with John. I think your wife went too. I think, yeah. And maybe someone else went, maybe Leo or one of our friends went, but um, yep. Matt or somebody. But he gave an interesting talk, and Phil Zimmerman, for those who aren't aware, and I'm betting that's a lot of you because it's cryptography crap, and most of you probably <laughs> don't <laughs> don't have crypto as a hobby like I did for a lot a lot of years. But he got famous suddenly way back in like 89, 90 or so, when he developed a freeware program called PGP, which stands for Pretty Good Privacy. And what he was doing with this program was offering military-grade encryption for free for the masses. So basically, suddenly, anybody who had access to the Internet, um, and back then, of course, we didn't have the web. It was, right. you know, Gopher and, and all the di- – or it was a command line, CLI kind of internet. You yeah, know? universities had it. Telnet um, and, mm-hmm. and all these cool tools, which I still use all the time. But And he released this program onto the internet. And when he did that, it immediately started going around the world, basically. Yep. And at that from that point on, because the, the level of – cryptographic security that this program enabled you to have was really, you know, military strength. He was, Phil Zimmerman was considered a criminal because cryptography software at the time, and it still might be, I don't know, was regulated under the same laws that regulated munitions like nuclear weapons. That's right. Because the fear is if some enemy of the state outside the borders of the United States were to have this, they could do things that we wouldn't know about. Exactly. So, because he exported this software, he was basically considered a threat like someone who sold or gave away nuclear secrets. Mm-hmm. Or cocaine. Well, I don't know if cocaine was regulated <laughs> under ITAR, but... <laughs> but you can't send that overseas the same way. No, but it's, I think it's a different law. <clears throat> yeah. So, Phil Zimmerman got pretty popular in the next five years Fighting this case, the ACLU and a bunch of lawyers working uh, pro bono helped him out on this, and he was ultimately um, was ultimately never prosecuted. However, over those five years, he was persecuted. Oh, he absolutely. was followed. You know, his his phone conversations were tapped. He was harassed at every time he left the country to go lecture. He was harassed to see if he had any copies of PGP on disc on his body. Mm-hmm. And you know, it took years off his life. I mean, he got gray hair from this, but he fought the good fight. He believed that. Regular people like you and me deserved to be able to encrypt our email, for example, so that if we don't want Big Brother, the government, to see it, they shouldn't be able to see it. 
and and this is of course I would stand with him on this argument and I'm sure mm-hmm. you would as well. Absolutely. And anyway, he's one of the guys who actually went out there and fought the good fight, you know. So anyway, we saw Phil give this lecture and he said something which I believe I mentioned on a previous show about embedded infrastructures and Phil Zimmerman talked about, you know, compu- Moore's law, computer power doubling every 14 mm-hmm. or 16 months, whatever that number is. And he envisioned today when the government would just have this gigantic networked computer complex in one room that could in real time listen to every phone conversation in the United States for keywords using voice recognition software and things like that. Very and prescient because a lot of that stuff is happening right now. What's that? Echelon, Project Echelon, mm-hmm. you know, which we don't know too much about, but we do know it's a pretty all-encompassing listening network of some kind, listening to uh, cell phone traffic and, and international telephone traffic and things like that. Yeah, and there's some expert systems in there that that will read and look for different correlations of words and will kick those things out to human To a analyst. human an analyst, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I Phil said something you may or may not remember that day, John. He was talking about the NSA having just released some voice recognition software into the public domain. And it was like two generations ahead of anything like AT&T and Bell Labs and all these companies had, which would be our leading right. developers of something like that. And it was a couple generations ahead. So if the NSA is giving away mm-hmm. a version of voice recognition software that is generations ahead of the commercially available stuff from Bell Labs and whatnot, how good is the stuff that's secret? You know, it's got to be. Of course, the NSA, their goal is to be 10 years ahead of right. the state of the art. The, right. the public sector, private sector, state of the art, and with the they have more PhDs on staff than any company in the world. So I got to believe that they have the capability, with given their infinite budget, to be able mm-hmm. to do that. And when I was living down in DC, and, and actually I did some um, hiring of some developers, a lot of those guys, a lot of the smart uh, guys who who could write these crazy algorithms, were coming out of uh, the government jobs, FBI, CIA, and NSA. No surprise there. Yeah, <clears throat> and in, the the point Phil was making was that. After 1994, was that, that was when Oklahoma City happened, right? Clinton, so it's not just Bush. Clinton was involved in this too. He authored a law that said- Yeah, this well, is a bipartisan mess up. Yeah, Bush has been pretty, pretty bad with it lately, <laughs> perhaps more so. What Clinton did was legal. He put a law, you know, put laws into effect after the Oklahoma City terrorist bombing that um, mandated that the phone companies put back doors in all of their digital phone switches. Mm-hmm. And okay, so now we have, and, and Zimmerman's point was- once this infrastructure is in place, people have an amazing amount of power at their disposal to be able to snoop. And his argument was, what happens if a truly evil government gets elected or, or by coup d'etat takes over our government? These tools are going to be in place, and they rarely go away. His example was 120 volts, 60 hertz. In the United States yep. of America, our wall outlets are 110, whatever, 110, 120 volts, 60 hertz. There's no law that's mandating that. Just ISO type stuff, and it's it's just that that became the de facto standard, mm-hmm. and it's it's there's no law reg, you know mandating it, but it's not going anywhere. We're not going to suddenly t- switch to two twenty like they are in Europe or, or fifty hertz or anything like that. Yeah. So his point being, once these infrastructures are in place, they don't go away. So it's a bad idea to put them in place in the first place. And now we get to December two thousand and five. Yes, it's December 2005. Well, actually, it was. Yeah, it was yesterday. December 2005. And now we're hearing about George Bush illegally monitoring phone communications and, and traffic on United States citizens. Yeah, allegedly illegally, but I would not be surprised. And I, and I really hope that they find that the way that they've been monitoring these things is, is illegal, found to be illegal, because um, 
the way I understand it. And I'm no legal expert. I'm no uh, political analyst. But I do know that I've heard a lot of people talking about this. And they've said that there is no reason for this to be happening other than they want information to be gained without anyone knowing about it. Because there are laws on the books that allow people to do this, to to tap wires very quickly, to get information very quickly, and then retroactively get the approval from the courts. Yeah, with the advent of the Patriot Act, being able to get these kinds of permissions became very easy, very right. easy. So there's no need to have to do it surreptitiously. Yeah, and then there's the oh, big word. Ooh. <laughs> Did you just look that up? I No, it was in my brain somewhere. I don't know where that came from. Well, you've used it for the year. Can't use it again. All right, I won't. Uh, so anyways, yeah, and, and I've, you're probably hearing a lot about the FISA Act. I'm, I don't even know what this thing stands for. So, like, again, I'm not going to be throwing these things out like I'm an expert. But I do know that the FISA Act does allow for specific types of uh, wiretapping. And it does allow, legally, for some agency to then get the approval very quickly afterwards from a court, legally. Right. And I've been hearing a lot about this secret court, actually, and I don't know what it's called, but apparently the federal government and the um, judicial branch has access to this top secret court, which generally always approves these kinds of wiretapping uh, when they're asked, seeking permission to do this kind of wiretapping. They always approve it anyway, yeah, since I think they the don't have to answer to anybody. The statistic is something like uh, 12,000 or 9,000 requests, five denied. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know what, if I'm playing the lottery and those are my odds of success, I'm a millionaire, you know, it's as simple as that. Right, so with those odds in your favor, why would you try to circumvent that court? Because you don't want people knowing who you're listening to. That would be the only reasonable yep. answer here. And you know what, Bill Clinton, he fools around with a woman in his office and he gets impeached. Great, okay, so he was cheating on his wife, but beyond that, yeah, I don't think he was breaking any laws. This is impeachable. I mean, Bush should be in well, jail for and, this kind of stuff. And again, Nixon, this is one of the articles of impeachment for Nixon. Oh, absolutely. Same, same thing. Yeah, and what he did was not even as heinous as this, I don't think. You know, okay, so he had some of his henchmen break into an, uh, the Democratic office in the Watergate Hotel and steal some stuff. That's the. I mean, that must just be like pocket change to these guys these days. I mean, <laughs> they're going way beyond that now, and nobody's mm -hmm. talking about it. Yes, you're hearing about it a little bit, but nobody's really talking about it. I mean... Well, because people don't realize exactly how insidious this is. They don't realize what kind of rights are being taken away from them. Because, you know, yeah, I'm not a criminal. I'm not being listened to. Nobody's listening to me. Well, not yet, maybe. And I've got this guy at work. I've, I've mentioned him before. I'm not going to mention him by name, but he always invokes the, well, what are you worried about? If you're not doing anything wrong, there's nothing to worry about. That's right. Yeah. No, no, no. The very act of them snooping is wrong from the get-go. Right. What was that quote that we pulled, uh, Benjamin Franklin, very early on in our shows? Those who... Those who... Those who would give up their liberties... Give up essential liberty to obtain security deserve neither liberty or security. Right. And yeah, that's exactly like that. it. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't take fundamental principles and... and morals and ethics and just flush them on a toilet because you think that, well, nobody's hurting me. And beyond that, though, I think there's this want to, how do I want to say this? There's this belief that the American citizens have that their government is just and honest. And I don't think that's been the case for decades, to be honest with you. Decades? I don't think maybe ever. 
Well, people right. are involved. And once power is involved, power tends to corrupt. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of this survey I saw when people were asked if they thought their congressman was honest, like 99%, whatever that number is, high 90s, said yes. Do you think other congressmen are honest? <laughs> right. And everybody said, no, no, most other congresspeople are dishonest. Well, that can't be true, right? My exactly. congressman, because if I have a different congressman than you, you would think mine is dishonest. I would think mine is honest. I mean, this stuff just doesn't jive. But I think people want, inherently want to believe that their government is doing good and that we're f- spreading democracy around the world. But it's just not like that anymore. The government has an enormous propaganda team, basically, oh, yeah. you know, to to convince people that what they're doing is right. And, I mean, this is just another example of it. I, in my opinion, this is an impeachable, absolutely impeachable offense. And these guys need to be in jail. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and, and there's there's just a lot of mean-spirited stuff going on, you know, and, and people have maybe got some sense of where I stand on this stuff. It's not just a legal thing. It's We're talking about a moral thing. People's liberties are getting ripped away from them. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that Bush and company are spying on their political enemies, too. Oh, yeah, guys, absolutely. You know what I mean? They're using these to spy on the Democratic Party, or whatever, you know, uh, political radicals, you know, whatever. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, in the in the 60s and whatnot, you know, they were spying, of course, illegally on, on a variety of groups and, and, and uh, infringing on the rights of a variety of, of normal um, political protest groups, you know, mm-hmm. that opposed Vietnam, for example, or something like that. And the last time I checked, the Constitution guaranteed my right to be able to oppose anything my government does, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure you're going to be hearing a lot Properly, about... with, you know, I mean, non-violently and things like that. Oh, of course. But you're going to be hearing a lot about stories, and in fact, they're starting to crop up in the news um, about people being infiltrated, so to speak, people being spied on, and fairly innocuous groups, too. And it's not going to get better. I suspect over the next few months, the next year, we're going to hear, provided the media does even close to what their job description is, we're going to hear much, much more insidious things than Mm -hmm. these most recent reports. Um, I read a a website called Truthout, truthout truthout.org, and we have a link to them on our site. But there's a particular article that we'll link to uh, when we put up the show notes for this particular show if you want to read about this a little more. But anyway, yeah. That's 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 where I sit on that issue. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to be solved in the next thirty minutes. And Phil Zimmerman, if you're listening, we love you. Well, love is a strong word. Well, he's we a, approve he's, of your work. He's a human being. <laughs> we love all humans. That's true, except Mickey Rooney. It's a platonic love. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> So I want to talk very briefly about a film I saw at the MWPAI.org, the Munson Williams You know, Parker a little Arts bird Institute. told me that you've got a pet peeve going on with the MWPAI.org, or whatever they're that called. That bird was right, and I'm going to talk about my pet peeve momentarily. <laughs> I just want to talk about this film, 40 Shades of Blue, directed by Iris X. It's a 2005 release. Interesting film about dysfunction between a man and a woman and the variety of dynamics that crop up in a relationship and a life like this due to the due to those dynamics. And I'm actually not going to say too much about this film because uh, it might be a giveaway. Um, one of the things that... Well, the, one of the main stars in the film is Rip Torn. He plays a guy named Alan James who's like a big Memphis, Tennessee sort of uh, early rock and roll record producer. You know, he was the guy who I could see him as a record might producer. have produced Elvis Presley in the early years or something like that. And, you know, he's still very heavily involved in the record industry. And he has a girlfriend 
uh, Laura, played by uh, Dina Korzun, a uh, Russian woman. I actually don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. But there's a great deal of dysfunction between the two characters, and that leads to a lot of little ripples that extend outward from that center point, right? You know, And one of the big ripples is when Riptorn's son, Michael, comes into the picture. And I was very pleasantly surprised to see this actor who played Michael, Darren Burroughs, in this film because he played Ed Chigliak in my favorite TV show of all time, Northern Exposure. I'm sure we all remember that show. Mm-hmm. But I found this film to be what I believed was a believable depiction of what might happen when the the dissonance of these two characters, the dysfunction of these two characters comes together and then other outside dynamics are added to the mix. The Internet Movie Database, for example, didn't find this to be as strong a film as I did. And it was a very deliberate, slow-paced film, and the payoff really didn't happen until the very end, but I'm okay with that. I love cinema. You know, I don't have to have a shoot 'em up every five seconds like in a Bond film or something yeah. like that. Well, I that. think we've talked about like the, the pacing of Kubrick. That's not yes. for everyone, and that usually doesn't get high ratings by... Uh, by the average uh, action film star, action film fan. But at the same time, if you, I bet if you were to go to the Internet Movie Database, you would find every Kubrick film rated very highly. Well, true, because I think Kubrick is a little bit more well-known than Iris Sachs. Yeah, oh, definitely. But I find this film to have value. I thought it was very interesting. I, all, I never really was a big fan of Rip Torn. I mean, I think he's a great character actor. He plays some <laughs> very outrageous characters. But And I know this is going to sound totally... Um, Totally, uh, what's the word I want? Shallow. Shallow, exactly. But I'm just totally repulsed by Rip Torn. I really am. I do not like him at all in this film. Of course, he played a somewhat repulsive character in this film, too. So they definitely didn't cast against type here. Well, that's what he always plays. I mean, did you see him in Defending Your Life, I think, with Albert Brooks? I did not. Oh, no. uh, I mean, I think he played a, an angel, essentially, his uh, Albert Brooks's, uh his chaperone through this whole defense process of his life when he was in... Uh, purgatory or heaven whatever you want to call it again another repulsive character repulsive angel well and that's well that's casting with type and and there you have it and i I could definitely see why people would cast him like that but i mean he he does have a certain i want to use the word character but i mean it in the different sense he does have a certain um sensibility Mm -hmm. about him that makes him perfect for those roles yeah it's his his voice and he was in that dodgeball movie too oh i didn't see that i heard that was really very funny movie and again another great character very repulsive guy (laughs) well i guess i'll have to see that i've been meaning to rent that actually but anyway 40 shades of blue interesting film check it out and my pet peeve about munson williams is i'm i've been a member of munson williams for on and off for years and i've been a, a a member for the past five years um Contiguously, I don't know. There's another big word for it. I don't know if that word. Continuously. Does that, does that mean like all in a row or something? Continuously, dude? contiguously. I don't know. It all means the same to me. But anyway, every winter time they have these concerts in their sculpture court called concerts in the court, and they're usually on Saturday nights, and they usually have some pretty big names in the in the jazz circles. And uh, this year is no exception. And I've always been uh, quite upset by the fact that they will only sell tickets to concerts in the court events. Uh, through their box office, Monday through Friday, 10 to 5. Well, guess what? Most of the working world is at work then. But the box office is open Wednesdays and Fridays for their independent film nights, which is when I go, when I talk about all these films. And to me, it doesn't make any sense that they can't sell me a ticket on Friday night when I go to see their independent film series. I mean, there's a person behind the counter. They have a cash register. I have money. Sell me a damn ticket! 
Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. I scoured their website today for a feedback comments email address. They're smart. And they don't even want any feedback about this. They don't want feedback apparently about anything because they, they're apparently an analog world. You know, they want you to phone them or write them. They actually said, if you want to write us a letter, here's our address. Who writes letters anymore? No, you have to actually send them a Western Union telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm very upset by this. For crying out loud, you know, just sell me a damn ticket to concerts in the court. And th- I guess you can phone in an order. I'll be fair to them. You can phone in an order, but there's something like a $3 handling fee for phoning in the order, which I would prefer to call an extortion fee. Thank you very much. $3. I think it's $3. It's it might prob- be 2 but whatever what? it is, it's too much. If it's a buck, I'll say fine. It, it's uh, it's not a handling fee. It's a disincentive fee. It's to try to keep you away from that phone. <laughs> Apparently, they just don't want anybody at concerts in the court. I don't get it. And I really want to go. So I'm going to have to risk it this next week when I go there and just go the day of the performance. You know, I'm going to show up and hope they have some tickets left because I'm not going to play into their game. And I was hoping they would have a comment email address because I was going to encourage every every one of you out there to email them. But if you're local to New York State, go to MWPAI.org and phone them and complain that you can't buy concerts in the court tickets on weekends or on uh, like Wednesdays and Friday nights when they run their film series. I mean, if you'll do that, you'll all be my hero because I think that's just a policy that needs to change. I can't think of one logical reason why they wouldn't sell me a ticket on Friday nights when there's already a warm body in the box office taking money for the movies. Yeah, I know that there are are bigger social injustices out there that we should probably be fighting, but, you know— we dealt with that one today, too. We but, talked about... You know, we, we tried the little things and the big things. We're, we did one of each today. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we're done. What do you got? Anything? You know what I've got? Um, is it something that you need a shot for? Um, no, got that. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you had that taken care of. No, you know what I've got? I don't know. What do you got? Claxons. Claxons. Well... That's another show in the can with a very fine bottle of wine today. I must say, this is certainly in the top two. It's in uh, definitely in my belly. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely there, too. We would definitely recommend this wine. Try it out. Anyway, this is Rich Wilgus, Stereo Left. And uh, John the Hammer, Tallarico. <laughs> stereo Right. <laughs> Remember, if you want to leave us some feedback, it's feedback at bloodyveg.com. And our blog, www.bloodyveg.com, no surprise. Check out our, our blog because soon the, the snowy panorama that John created will be going away. It's not spring yet, just going <laughs> back to normal. But anyway, check out the blog, leave us some feedback, all that kind of good stuff. Happy New Year, and remember, you're listening to V.I.B. V.I.B.